This better not be long. Plus, today we're celebrating graduates, one of which regularly harasses me from the front, Carly. So we're celebrating graduates and we're eating. It's going to be a good morning. This time of year, if you go to many graduation ceremonies, you're going to hear a commencement speaker. And you're going to hear the same speech every year, except with different stories. Okay, so for those that we're celebrating today, if you haven't heard it yet, I'm going to give you a little bit of a commencement speech, okay? Congratulations! You've made it. You've persevered the struggles of school, the hardships of homework, the torturous, treacherous teachers. You have opportunities galore ahead of you. You conquer the world. You can tackle new foes. You can look forward to the challenges of tomorrow. Thank you. You can achieve anything you put your mind to because you have graduated. Sounds a little bit like Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? Yeah, that wasn't purposeful. This is great, right? You're going to hear this. Oh, some people still have money to put in Peterson's jar? Well, here, go run that around. We want to make sure that's filled up. Okay, this is a great commencement speech that you're going to hear every year, multiple times each year, if you're going to multiple graduations, just with slight variations of the stories, right? Congratulations, you made it. You can do anything you want because you have graduated. Well, don't let me be a Debbie Downer, but what happens to the graduates' morale when life hits them in the teeth? When they realize they have to pay back their school loans? What happens when life changes from you can do it to, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through the end of today. And it's not just because I have to write a three-page, double-spaced, 12-point font paper due by midnight. It's because something real has happened, like a death or a sickness or a lost job or a, God, where are you? What happens then? What happens when life doesn't turn out the way the commencement speaker promises? This morning, you've already seen the concert of Psalms. We start a month celebrating the Psalms, and each Sunday I'm going I'm to preach on one from the previous week that you have read. We get to read the journals. We get to see the poetry, the songs of praise, the laments of sorrow from King David and maybe even a few of the other ones who wrote some of these psalms. And we get to see, in a very real sense, very practical way, how each one of us connects to these psalms. So before we jump in, let's pray. Lord God, this morning we have already begun to sing our songs of praise to you. We have picked out psalms that have meant something to us this past week, that have meant something to us in, our, in the past years. You've begun to hear our hearts. This morning, Lord, we get to hear the heart of King David. And I pray that we would be in tune to his heart, but more than that, I pray that we would be in tune to your heart and what you want to teach us through this this morning. So I pray you'd guide our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Psalm chapter 13. This morning, we get to witness the highs and lows of one of Israel's greatest human kings, we get, to, we get to see the heights of ecstasy and the depths of despair. We get to see movement from perplexity to praise, from sinking to swimming. 
Now, we'll begin by reading the entire psalm. You heard it to start off the service. And then after that, we'll simply let the psalm teach itself. So Psalm 13, read from the New Living Translation. For the choir director, a psalm of David. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. The three who are graduating and everybody else who are here, sometimes life is hard. Somebody say amen. Amen. Sometimes life just plain stinks. Sometimes it's tremendously difficult and you feel like the one thing that's constant, right? God, you feel like, well, God, where are you in this? We don't know for sure what King David was going through when he wrote this psalm. Could have been a multitude of things. It could have been one of the times that King Saul was chasing him. It could have been later in life when his son turned against him. It could have been any of those times. We don't know what was going on, but we get a glimpse of his heart, especially in the first two verses. We're going to read this together off the screen. Psalm 13, 1 to 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Did you catch the lament in there? Did you see the rising angst? Could you hear his volume start to rise with each one of those how longs. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? You know, he starts simple enough. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Have you ever been forgotten? It's not a good feeling. I saw it happen this past, this past Thursday. I was at a board meeting for the co-op that my kids are at. And uh, one of the guys brought three beautiful Starbucks coffees. But the problem was four board members came. And the fourth one was late. And there's only three coffees. He was forgotten. No big deal, right? Because the same guy who brought three was supposed to bring four had forgotten completely the previous time we had a board meeting. So this other guy came prepared. He had his own coffee. It's not fun to be forgotten, though. Maybe, maybe it's something a little bit bigger. Maybe in the office, you've been in a group project, and you've worked hard. You've put in extra time. And the time comes for the boss to, to, to lay out the project, right? Champagne corks are being popped, and praises being given to people, and so-and-so worked super hard, and this person did great on a website, and this person did great on advertising, your, and your name isn't mentioned. It stinks, because you've sweat. You've put in extra hours. You've worked hard. It stinks to be forgotten. When I was in third grade, we lived in Dallas, Texas, and I was playing soccer, and I was at a camp across town. Now, in Dallas, across town means it's a ways away, okay? Second day at camp, camp ends, and I look at the parking lot, and there's a parking lot full of cars with parents picking up their kids. My parents' car wasn't there. 
a few minutes turned into 10 minutes, turned into 15, turned into a half hour, turned into an hour, an hour and a half later, the lights are out. It's completely dark outside. It's just me and the camp director. I don't know them. They don't know me. But it's evident my folks are still not there. So we are walking to somebody's car that I don't know for me to get into the back seat of this person's car to drive across the street to a house of somebody I don't know to go use their home phone to call my parents to figure out where they are. This is before cell phones. I was forgotten. Literally, as the door was being opened for me to get into the back of the car, my parents pulled up. They had forgotten me. They told me so. They admitted to it. And that was the first I'd ever felt that gut-wrenching feeling of being forgotten. Now, mom and dad, I know you're going to listen to this at some point. There is no hard feelings. No ill will. I've completely forgiven you. There's a pregnant pause. I just want to tell this story because it fit, Mom. Mom actually redeemed this story on the drive home. She told me about a verse where God promises never to forget you. It's in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on her son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I, this is God speaking, I will not forget you. It was a good verse for Mom to share with me at that time. Being forgotten stinks. It's hard. It's gut-wrenching. Now, Isaiah spoke after King David, so maybe David didn't know that God would one day promise that. And maybe that's why he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? It's almost as if he is accusing God, don't stone me for this, but accusing God of a sin of omission. Not something purposeful, but God, really? Oops, you forgot me? Can we accuse God of such things? Well, David takes it to the next level in the next how long. How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you look the other way? It's one thing to be accidentally forgotten. It's a whole different ball of wax when it's purposeful, right? God, come on, seriously. You're choosing to look away. You're choosing to leave me hanging. This is intentional. We've all done this. We've all looked the other way. Maybe it's when someone you didn't like turned down the same grocery aisle as you did. Well, you take your cart, you put it in the other aisle, right? Maybe it's when that soccer mom whose kid was a jerk on the field last Saturday walks into your retail store and suddenly you realize, wait, there's some stock I have to put on the shelves in the back. Maybe it's when you pull up at the stop sign and you see the person standing next to you with the sign that says, I just need a dollar. You don't want to make eye contact, so what do you do? You turn your face. You look the other way. We've all done this. Now we see David, a man that Scripture calls a man after God's own heart. We see him on the side of the road holding a sign saying, God, help me. God pulls up, and what does he do? David says, you've turned the other way. You're choosing not to look at me. God, why? How long will you hide your face from me? This happens to someone like King David. This happens to people like Mother Teresa. I don't know if I've told this before, but Mother Teresa, born in 1947, no, not born. She, she had a vision in 1947, a vision from God that led her to this life of service to the poorest of poor. It led her to the work that she did for decades, 50 years. 1997, she passed away. In 2007, they published a book of her compiled journals. 
She did not want these ever made public. And it's understandable why, because they talk of a lifetime of feeling a lack of God's presence. You would never have guessed that from Mother Teresa. Listen to one of her entries from 1961. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and the pain I cannot explain. God, how long will you turn your face from me? David had spoke like this earlier in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? Don't forget me. Don't look the other way. And he continues, how long must I struggle with this anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? You know, when it seems like God isn't listening, when it seems like he's looking the other way, the next step for us often is to turn inward. You know, first it's God, you, God, you, and then all of a sudden it's God, me. This anguish, this misery, this Sorrow deep within. This past Tuesday, I was meeting with the Shadow Park captains. Uh, we meet at lunch over Tuesday. You've heard me talk about it in the past. Uh, the room often have, well, we meet in Jim's classroom, and the room often has other kids, not just the captains that are in there. Some are there to do some homework, to treat it as a study hall. Others are there because maybe they, they play football or, or they just enjoy listening in on our conversations. One of those kids is named Zach. He's a small kid. Used to play football, doesn't anymore. Uh, great smile, great personality, great demeanor. He and I got to know each other on a first-name basis. Nothing deep, okay? But in the halls when he saw me, he'd wave, he'd say hi, and then, are you coming today? And, and he'd sit in the classroom and watch and listen. Well, this past Tuesday, before talking to the captains, Coach Mace calls me and he says, hey, I don't know if it's public yet, but Zach's little brother, eight years old, was killed last weekend in a camping accident. Oh, my heart broke for Zach. My heart broke for his family. No parent should have to go through that. No big brother should have to throw a baseball that his little brother misses and see his brother chasing that baseball around the corner only never to see his, his brother full of life again. My heart broke for him. The anguish in his family's souls. How long, O oh Lord, must I, who barely knows Zach, must this family... Go through this agony of heart. Pray for this family. God, they are sick at heart. That's what David says in Psalm 6.3. I'm sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Pray for this family. That's the first three of the how longs that David gives us. The fourth is this. How long must my enemy have the upper hand? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Like I said earlier, we don't know what was going on in David's life during this time. We don't know what the specifics were he was thinking of. And frankly, most of us can't even fathom what it's like to be surrounded by genuine enemies. I mean, maybe you've served in the military and you understand that. Maybe you've turned down a wrong alley in the middle of the night and there's people there and you feel that. But I don't know if we can fully understand what David's going through here. And yet each one of us does have our enemies. Maybe it's somebody at work who harasses you for your faith. You know, maybe it's a neighbor who did something that you don't like. Maybe 
You are your own worst enemy. Maybe it's not even a person that's the enemy. Maybe it's inward. Fear and doubt. Maybe your enemy is self-worth. Maybe it's an addiction that you haven't told any about, anyone about for years and years, and yet you have prayed David's prayers. God, how long will this enemy have the upper hand over me? In these first two verses of Psalm 13, David is praying like most people in the Western world don't pray. Okay? We would never dare to pray like that. We would think that accusations and blame against God show a lack of faith. So far, this psalm is showing us that we can take all of our burdens to God, even if the burden is our relationship with God. Jeremiah does that. Jeremiah chapter 20. Job does that. Job chapter 3. David does that here. Even if your relationship with God is the struggle, take that challenge to him. He's a big God. He can take it. Sometimes life is hard, no matter what the graduation speaker tells you. Life will take twists and turns that have you dizzy and disoriented. So what do you do? What did David do? He prayed. He prayed. Verse 3. Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. In another translation, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David prayed. Okay, and again, he prayed in a way that most of us would hesitate to pray. We usually come humbly, maybe even a little sheepishly at times. I don't think this prayer is very humble. God, turn and answer me. And if you've been reading the psalm so far, you know this isn't the only time David prays like this. Psalm 4 begins, answer me when I call to you. Psalm 5 begins, Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help. My King and my God, I pray to no one but you. Do you begin your prayers like that? God, listen! Or is it more, dear Father, I sure hope that you're going to hear me today. Oh, David. David says, come on, Lord. And at first, I was a little unsettled with this. And then I thought, well, okay, it's King David. He can do that because he's a man after God's own heart. Why can't we start like that? And I started to look a little deeper at this verse. And I was like, well, what does the rest of it mean? So verse 3 and 4. Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Okay, we'll actually just stop there in verse 3. Restore the sparkle to my eyes. Light up my lies. And, and, and I, enlighten my eyes. Is what some of your translations will say. We wouldn't know it due to the way the Hebrew translates into the English. But in the Hebrew, this phrase actually paints a beautiful picture of David asking God to help him see things through God's perspective. David's saying, God, open my eyes so I can see what you are doing here. It's very similar to the prayer Elisha prayed when his servant was scared, when the Arameans had surrounded the town that they were in and they were about to attack. Elisha said this, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than there are on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and he saw a hillside full of chariots of fire and horses. David says, enlighten my eyes. Let me see what you're up to, God. This isn't David being bossy when he says, answer my prayer. This is David saying, please help me to see. 
what you see. Kind of changes that prayer, doesn't it? At least the tone of it. So far what we're seeing is David lamenting God's forgetfulness. David's saying, God, you're turning your face. He's questioning how much longer the pain and agony are going to take place. He's, he's asking why the enemies keep winning. And after all of this, he decides to pray. The Holman Bible Commentary says, Discouraged souls often internalize their struggles rather than casting their burdens on the Lord. This only leads to self-destruction and despair. In the storms of life, God must be the believer's first recourse, never a last resort. I don't take that as a chastisement if you forget to pray first, okay? I forgot to pray first this last week. Thursday was crazy, my head was spinning, it was all over, I mean, and then the toilet's flooded. And I'm sitting there, I called my wife, I, I called I mean, a couple other people, I talked to Jeff. Jeff, it's good to have you here today, he's my buddy from Chicago, okay? And I was, I was about to explode, and then I realized I haven't even prayed. I didn't take it too hard because I realized that the people who ate, slept, laughed, walked with Jesus also often forgot to pray first when the storms of life hit. Remember the Sea of Galilee? You know the story. Okay, Jesus is sleeping on the boat. The storms come up. Is there first recourse to pray? No, it's to try and solve it themselves. They grab bailing buckets. They start throwing out water. The waves keep coming in. More water, more water. And eventually they internalize it. When they wake Jesus up, what do they say? Oh, mighty powerful one, you can do all things? No. Don't you care that we are going to drown? That was their prayer. So don't take it bad if you forget to pray first. Okay? David went through a lot before he finally turned to God and prayed. But after he prayed, we get to see a change in tone. Verse 5, but I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Just like that, we get to see David's quick and firm belief that his, his prayers have been answered already by God. He must have known deep down what God would later tell his people. He would tell his people, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they're still talking about their needs, I will go ahead of them and answer their prayers. That's Isaiah 65, 24. David knew that God would answer his prayers because as hard as life got for him, David trusted in God's unfailing love, in his steadfast love. He trusted in the stories that he had been told growing up of the God of old, of the God who freed his people from, Israel, from, from Egyptian bondage. And as the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they sang this song, and one of the verses of the song said, with your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. David may have thought back to the Ten Commandments when God told his people in Exodus 20, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Now the word for Un, unfailing love or steadfast love is chesed. I think we've said that before, but let's say it again together. Chesed. 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 This word literally means covenantal love. A love that's backed by a covenant. Love that's backed by a promise. God loves his people because at one point in time he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Moses reminded 
the people of this. Deuteronomy chapter 7 said, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply because the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath that he swore to your ancestors. Understand, indeed, he's a faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those he loves. God loves us so unfailing because he has promised to do so. How'd the song go that we sang a little bit earlier? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I was going to sing it, but I decided against it. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. What never ceases? God's steadfast love, his chesed. It doesn't cease because he has promised to be in covenant with us. David knew this. He clung to it. And that's part of why we could see the shift so quickly. The shift in verse 2 from God, my enemies are winning. How much longer are they going to do that? To verse 5 where he says, you've rescued me. I'm going to trust in your salvation. Who wins? The enemy? No. God wins. God wins. David finished this this prayer, this roller coaster of ups and downs like this in verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. How does the phrase go? If I say God is good, you say? Amen. Amen. All the time. Do I have, oh, we don't have that slide. I thought I put a slide up there. If I say God is good, you say all the time. Okay, let's try that. God is good. And if I say all the time, you say? That stems out of this verse. God is good. The other, uh, other translations say he's dealt bountifully with me. We could talk for hours upon hours about the goodness of God. I could show you verses upon verses upon verses that speak of that. Or we could talk to people who have been through the throes of life, who have been broken, beat down, faced the hardships, the things that they don't speak about in commencement speeches. The ones who have called out from the depths of their being, how long? We could talk to these people, and my guess is that to a T, those who are walking with Christ, those who have experienced his salvation both now and are counting on it forever into eternity, we could talk to these people and they would tell you that no matter how hard life got, God was still good. Somehow in the muck and mess of life, God is still good. We've seen David go from perplexity of how long to praise for the goodness of God. David knew it. He came back to it. He clung to it. He lived it. My question is, will you? Will you? In just a moment, we're going to sing another song, and then we're going to invite the graduates up to speak very briefly because we like hamburgers for brunch at 1030. Okay? But before we get to that, three quick take-home points for today. Real simple. They're up on the screen. Okay? Ask, pray, remember. Ask. We've seen David show us that it's okay to ask God the hard questions. It's okay to lament. We can do that like David did. Just before you start turning inward, make sure you turn to God and pray. Okay? Be bold in your prayers. But make sure in those bold prayers you're saying, God, help me to see it like you see it. 
And then remember. Remember that no matter what you're going through, God has covenanted. He has promised. He has pinky swore to you that he will always love you. He will always care for you. He will love you steadfastly, unfailing, unfailingly. He's going to provide for your salvation. And remember that God is good. Whether you are in the middle of the muck and mess of life or you're walking across the stage in a cap and gown here shortly, ask, pray, remember. Fair enough? Let me pray. Worship team, come forward. We'll sing and then we'll close with the graduates. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for a psalm like this because it shows me that um, man, even the greatest of greats, of kings of Israel, still had days like I have, where we question, God, are you really there? Have you turned away? How much longer are things like this going to happen? God, I thank you that this was a good reminder to me, even this past week, to just stop and pray, and then to remember in all of it, you're good, and you have promised to love me. You've promised to love your people in a way that oh, we can't even begin to fathom. So I thank you for this this morning. And I pray that as we go from here, you'd help us remember to ask and pray and remember. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.